welcome to Better Being Me. I am your host, Joanne Hatchard. Better Being Me is all about celebrating the neurodivergent woman, learning how to be safe and secure enough to drop the masking, embracing the true version of who you are. My goal is to share my stories and those of other neurodivergent people that prove we are not alone in our difficulties. And together we can be celebrating how we have overcome our challenges and fully embrace our life. I want to promote our unique perspective of the world. Thank you. <laughs> Coming back for Talking Twaddle, today I have with me the beautiful Jasmine Deacon. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jasmine, I met through her role as a support coordinator. Um, she works with Sunny Spectrum Supports, um, and they actually offered me a place on there. In they won a raffle, is that right? Um, for purple orange workplace inclusion training, and they went, "We're only little. Let's invite everybody." And I went, "I'm only little. I shall also join you." <laughs> and we have become kindred spirits since. <laughs> Oh, it was so awesome. You know, one of those things where, you know, there was uh, like another workshoppy thing and basically it was one of those, put your hand up, answer the question. Me naturally taking notes of all the things that they're saying are like, ah, I know the thing, not thinking I'd win anything or anything. They're like, you've just won, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ooh, how amazing. And then it was, yeah, it's like 30 people or something. So we got to invite you know, bunch of neurodivergent businesses and we all put our heads together and chatted and it was really cool. It was pretty cool because it almost became like an instant community, didn't it? Yeah. You've moved on to work with at least four or five of those people as well. Oh, that's it. Like we all ended up chatting for like a couple hours after and, you know, we were talking about what we were doing at Sunny Spectrum and, you know, we're just, yeah, we were all just so excited about what we were all doing and it just, it was really fun to have that sort of space to share our projects and our interests that often can tie into, you know, the businesses that we create. Especially when we're working for ourselves, right? There's no point, there's no way in hell that we'd be creating a business that we don't want to be in. So. Exactly. Yeah. I think a perfect space for neurodivergent peeps to be if they can self-employ or find an, an employment through their own passions, then life becomes yeah. so much easier. I know. I don't know about your work history, but I worked, I worked in corporate for many years. Yeah, right. <laughs> struggle to get into work on time and to meet the expectations of being present and being friendly and doing all the things and all the things and mm. making sure it was different every day and yeah all of the stuff and now I work for myself I pick one outfit for the whole week <laughs> <That's Ta -da>! <laughs> <laughs> and every client sees it just once see it's a new outfit <laughs> and it's so much easier <laughs> oh that's so good yeah, and there's so many things, you know, when you're in a neurodivergent business or you run your own business, you know, you you can have those accommodations at the ready. You can, you know, do what you need to do to get through the work week. And I've just found that, that with that has just like so much more capacity to take stuff on that before yeah. it was like, 
just a lot and it was just this constant rat race and this constant like masking and all of that that it's like you know we're in the office just being like "Ah!" and it's fine it's just you know authenticity it's great and it's so much easier I think to work with your neurokin right everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses but we tend to find people that balance us out, if that makes sense. What I don't have, I look for in other people. And that's it. And that's where, like, Tammy, who I work with, who's sort of the, the partner in crime with um, Sunny Spectrum, she's, like, very business-minded um, and, like, I, you know, more the social worky and, I don't know, therapist-minded, although I don't really call myself a therapist. Um but with that, it's just been so amazing because we've been able to put those strengths together and we've learned that we've basically got like the same neurotype, but it's kind of like the more introverted and more extroverted versions as well. So it's so cool because it's like I, you know, get all up in my brain and hyper-reflective and, you know, map everything out. But then it's like, but I'm not very business-minded and wouldn't know how to share the thing. Anywhere. So it was like, well, then Tommy's like, cool, I can do this. Let's go. And it's like, it's awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. And together you've created such a magnificent little business. It's not even little, it's yeah. expanding so, like, so the quickly. <laughs> we weren't ready, but we're going. It's happening. But yeah, oh, it's so cool. We've got, um, you know, a whole bunch of neurodivergent team members now as well, um, mostly mentors. We've also got, you know, a counsellor from Deep Seas who's really amazing as well. And it's just this awesome space, like, to be in a fly on the wall in our team meetings is great as well. Like, we're all just ourselves and we can share our interests and ideas and think of programs where it's like, I'm really into this. How could we support someone who's really into this as well? Um, and it's just so fun. How did you get, because <laughs> I love um, other social workers and specifically neurodivergent social workers, <laughs> um, I think because of the breadth of social work, it suits our brains brilliantly. Like we can pick and choose kind of where our passions lie and there'll be surprise, surprise, a job at the end of that kind of thing. Mm. How did you get into social work? Because mine was a deviated tour. Mm. What about you? So, I mean, finished high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, Being very academic, um, I was always sort of, encouraged to go and do further study and you know so capable all of that so um I kind of started exploring courses and kind of knew you know wanted to like help people which is the most basic way to describe social work (laughs) but where it was like I guess where I deviated from maybe some of the other professions was and particularly psychology actually was um again not labeling myself as a therapist I really found that an interesting phrase to describe myself and I really didn't want to have all the answers because I didn't really feel like I'd have them but I think that's where that comes with experience where now I do have some answers at least um But the other big part of it as well, where social work really drew me in, was figuring out how the world worked. 
Um, it was just this whole like who's, what's, when's and why's of this whole universe as I've just, you know, just turned into an adult from leaving high school. What what do with all of this? Um, so I didn't even really have a career goal with it. I was just kind of like, oh, you can transfer degrees and you can transfer subjects if I don't like it. Loved it. Absolutely just soaked it all up like a sponge. Um, you know, it just blew my mind again. Like, it, I mean you leave that degree probably with more questions than answers about how the world works. But at the same time, there was just so much depth to the world and how people interact and how people, you know, perceive different things that are just, yeah, it was amazing. And all the unlearning as well was really huge. Like I, I was even saying this recently that it felt like doing the social work degree was like all about unlearning and then the learning only kind of happened when I actually entered the industry kind of thing. Like you just, you know, you're a new, new graduate. I've unlearned all the, the biases and prejudices and, and all the things. And then you kind of go in and learn. So, yeah, it was it was a really cool journey. I think I deviated a little bit, but <laughs> we got there in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I think the one of the biggest skills that the social work degree gave me was that use of self. Yeah, I think everybody should have that. Specifically, I think neurodivergent people should really do the use of self. Yeah. Because as a concept, it is just for everybody else. It is understanding, basically, like you were saying, understanding your your biases, your oh. triggers, your um, emotional reactions, and utilizing them in a way where you're not projecting onto clients is its point. Yeah. But I think in the real life, it can be utilized in a way so you can see who is you and mm. separate yourself from trauma and, you know, starting to embrace emotions as that is all they are, just passing through energy rather than yeah. things that I need to hide from or, you know, um, dumb down or as in. Like suppressed and, you know, all of that, which, yeah, it, and it. Usually that never ends well as well. <laughs> so the quicker that you figure that out and find space for that, whether it's, you know, as neurodivergence, for example, having a little sensory nook with a weighted blanket and my cloud sack and galaxy light and, and fidgets, a big box of fidgets and stuff. It's like if that's, you know, what you need, if it's just holding space for yourself, being more compassionate, reflecting and checking in about how you, you're perceiving something I guess the actual and perceived yeah there's just so much there yeah it's, oh, it it's amazing brought so much just that little bit brought so much into the work that I do now um because even though oh, when did I finish like 2011 I finished my master's and Gilbert was diagnosed, I've got no idea, 13? <laughs> no, 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 hang on. When he was three and he was born in 2014, mm -hmm. what, five, six, seven, so 2017. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, I, I think I say at least once a week, if not once a day, I didn't get into my job for the maths. No, <laughs> I ran out of things. Like doing social work, it's like there's probably an 80% chance you're really crap at math. 
<laughs> no science, no maths, you know, no medicine, dumb, and even that, doctor. No. <laughs> Statistically, that may be off a little bit if a social worker's done the math. <laughs> but it wasn't until kind of I entered the realm of, um, you know, the self-identification because that's always come, that comes before the fall, right? Um, yeah. It was that use of self-skill is what pulled me out of a big, big hole of mm. bullshit and that's it and that's where you know all of those skills it's really like it's just a breakthrough in perspective mm. and it just yeah it, it's it's almost like enlightenment isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's really cool and then to sort of I guess go from there to then being able to to share those perceptions or perspectives with other people, um, you know, reframing things or exploring things a little bit deeper, you know, taking things away from, I guess, all of that, like, what's it, like self-help propaganda? Did you ever look into that sort of stuff? I could never, it never resonated with me as much as other people. Because I can't even remember the rules that they make. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just all that stuff around, you know, all these self-help books and stuff, that how to live and how to do this and all of that. And yes. it's all about you fixing something in your life and it's, it basically just comes back to this weird, like, gaslighting moment of things are your fault yeah. and you have to change them where it's like social work was really, you know, and... And a lot of what I do even now is like what's actually around you creating a barrier? What's, you know, if we think about what's what, walls building up around you mm. from things in your environment or in your family situation or in the systems of, you know, government or whatever, where it's like there is just so much more than just someone not trying hard enough. just be more anxious and still not doing anything mm-hmm. yeah let's all just burn out how about that <laughs> <laughs> and I think the there was a freedom in social work that psychology didn't bring as well as well yeah that's definitely true as well and that's where I I liked that you could explore a bit of a niche mm. um and that yeah I guess with I mean we there's the duty of care in any role working with people but I just found it quite I don't know what the word is intimidating I guess of like diving into someone's brain so deep and it being really like a medical model as well um around you know having a disorder which you know both diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder but it's you know that's where I didn't want to be that person that was deciding people were disordered or that they had something wrong with them or you know and whether it's a report or saying that to someone but I found that social work was so much more positive even though we look at some really tricky stuff in our roles as well yeah and I think social work compared to psychology psychology whenever I had therapy sessions, they never gave yeah. me back. Like I, they never said, well done, Joanne, you're doing right. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing therapy good. They never, yeah. like it wasn't reciprocal. It was just a one-way <laughs> me going, 
I'm not entirely sure what you want to hear. So let me make up a story for you kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> Whereas almost, I- even with that, it was like, you I did therapy good, almost like going to therapy is a skill that you needed to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because, yeah, I, I mean, I've been with my psychologist since I was about 17 and I'm 27 now. It's like we were like, oh my god, she's not a little baby anymore. Like, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I just had my birthday and we were like, she's like, when did that happen? Um, but yeah, it was it was a very interesting journey from you know going through a lot of uh, trauma sort of in my childhood and in my teen years, unpacking that, and then I got to twenty five and it was like brains fully developed, trauma resolved. What is happening here? But yeah, it's it's cool that I could have that journey, but at the same time, the model of psychology is just not for me. Yeah, yeah. Finding that one autistic psychologist was for me, <laughs> but apart from that, not for me. Yeah. And was 25 when you got diagnosed? Yeah, 25, yeah. So a couple years ago, um, oh, it would be about maybe a year and a half because I think it was like late 25, but... I yeah, a little, little while ago. I mean, stuff. yeah, it was it was a lot of thinking for probably like a year or two before that, a lot of researching, which I think is really common with late diagnosis is that you basically have diagnosed yourself already 10 times over before you actually get the official one. Um, but yeah, it was it was a big journey. It was really, you know, really interesting and just so validating. It was, yeah. you know, it was like a celebration. It wasn't a, a grieving event for me, which for some it is. But, um, yeah, it was it was a huge moment of, you know, really being able to find myself. And then as I went through that journey of validating the things that I had already explored, there was that little bit of a missing piece when I'd gotten the supports in place. And then it was like, ah, hello there, neighbour, ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> So that came pretty much six months after or something like that. Um, And then, yeah, I've just been working through that ever since. Um, I wouldn't say really working now. I've kind of come to some sort of place of compassion and accommodation, you know, working at Sunny Spectrum, for example, you know, being with my neurokin, got a super affirming partner, you know, things like that have all sort of fallen into place along the way so it's been a really cool journey for me yeah and I think the work that you did to unpack any trauma is probably made the next step so much smoother by comparison yeah you had skipped if you'd found your psychologist who diagnosed you as um, autistic before you work through the trauma Mm -hmm. a lot of that trauma might have been passed off as autistic traits yeah definitely definitely where yeah everything was um I guess seen as trauma first which you know like a lot of women you get the depression anxiety PTSD diagnosis BPD um where you know that that was my experience and it didn't affirm my identity which was the later journey but it did hold the space for a lot of that to be validated um, and to work through that. And, you know, like anyone who's experienced trauma, you still have your triggers, you still have things that all bring you back to that place and whatever. But on the whole, 
it was it was cool to get to a place where I can be comfortable with that mm. um and then I think that even within myself made the autism diagnosis so much more I don't know again words but like authentic I guess because I think if I hadn't as you said I hadn't worked through that kind of vice versa I would have gone oh but that's just my trauma that's just a trauma response yeah. where it was like well I've resolved it now I'm 25 my brain's fully developed mm. you know um depression and anxiety medication isn't working for me what is happening mm-hmm. um and then yeah it was it was really yeah really fast journey like I had to keep up with it a lot but you know I'm definitely definitely grateful for it yeah and it's in a, a yeah um once you get that relief I guess or the piece mm. of paper or whatever you know yeah <laughs> congratulations you're autistic yeah you've passed well done. <laughs> make a cake <laughs> what I've actually cake? seen that on the internet where someone made a cake they're like congratulations on the autism <laughs> Yeah. I mean it is a theme that we even touch on in our work as well that you know for a lot of families um you know particularly parents of young children but even older as well there can be a process of like almost grief um around that experience I wouldn't even say almost it is it is grief um but really you know where you can reframing and exploring that by having that diagnosis you know how to find yourself and find your identity and find what you need to accommodate for that um and for that person there's a sense of identity and connection or neurokin that can be found from that Mm. and if we think about you know what would be the the worst sentence I guess like if we go your sentence to life I would find that most of these people would probably fare worse being undiagnosed and undersupported and unseen than having the diagnosis, though the label is scary. The label can be scary. Mm. And I think when we use the old reference um, of what autism means, that's yeah. where the fear is coming from. Oh, that's um, it. And often they neglected to say that when we see somebody in the media that is autistic, that they also have co-occurring conditions, including most often yeah. an intellectual disability that they show. Yeah, um, exactly. And they forget to detach um, for the community that these two things are separate and that you can be autistic without an intellectual disability or you yeah. can be intellectually disabled without having a without being autistic. So it's all... Um, it's all an unknown for the population if that's all they see is that the exactly and there's there are there's so many stereotypes and I think you know along the journey and I think you know from pre-diagnosis days I think it's something that I probably had looked at quite I guess frequently in that you know like once a year something might pop up I'd be like oh yeah that's kind of autistic of me too but then I kind of was like am I just doing that kind of like normalization thing that neurotypical people do Mm. and then it was kind of also I guess the the denial as well around being hyperverbal hyper reflective like reflective hyper empathetic 
that when I didn't have that education about what autism really is, I just went, well, I can't be then. I can't be. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, stereotypes are existing for a reason, but it doesn't mean that that's all there is, I think. Yeah. Was it uh, Judy Bloom wrote a book somewhere along the line and I can't remember if it's A There, God, It's Me, Margaret, or if it was something else, but there was an autistic child in there who was nonverbal and um, regressing Mm -hmm. and a boy. And that was what I had for like, I don't know how many years in my head of that's what that was Mm. and the shame that it brought on the family, et cetera. Yeah. And very similar for me as well, you know, a male stereotype and I guess the the phrasing of what is it, planes, trains and automobiles sort of thing, you know, you just imagine that, you know, young boy with the, you know, the planes hanging off the roof and the, you know, trains lined up or whatever it might be on the bookshelf and, you know, your, your knowledge before sort of learning and working with these people, which I have for a fair while across my career, mm. um, you yeah when that's kind of the limit to your understanding you can see where a lot you know obviously is missed you know whether it's within yourself or when you interact with other people who are autistic or you work with them it's yeah it's yeah a shame but we're getting there I guess different feeling of when you can communicate easily like it just Mm. feels so different doesn't it when you can yeah where everybody, you're probably not speaking in a linear way, but everybody's following what you're doing or what you're saying. Yeah. That they can. And instead of having to go back and correct yourself all the time and make Mm. the conversation linear, Mm. they're just right there next to you going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then what about? Yeah. That's, that's, that's what is so relieving and makes me so happy. Mm. (laughs) And that's it by, you know, finding that, I guess, neurokin, whether it's, you know, like people like yourself, you know, working with Tammy, even by being, you know, sunny spectrum where we work with neurodivergent people and like obviously they don't all have the same lived experience I do, Hmm. but it is just a wavelength, isn't it? It really, you know, and if you don't have that wavelength instantly, it's easier to find it almost um where even if it's like okay that's not how I naturally communicate but I can see why you're doing the thing or I can see how what purpose that serves and then you can figure it out yeah yeah and it's um I remember I mean because everybody's different right just because Mm. you're autistic doesn't mean we're going to get along but it is like you were almost 10 steps ahead of a neurotypical person in understanding where another um, neurodivergent person is coming from. Yeah. And one of the biggest trends that I'm like, I'm, I want to see eradicated is when autistic clients or autistic participants are being used as their therapist's education. Mm. So if they're going to a neurotypical therapist, instead of them getting the support and the help that they need without having to explain what autism is, they're Mm. spending so much time and energy and appointments in explaining what their internal autism means for them. 
And that's so interesting you say that because, you know, even Tammy and I have had discussions around, you know, we've got heaps of, you know, brilliantly, uh, I guess, intended and um, qualified, you know, speech therapists or OTs or psychologists that autism doesn't cover, uh, sorry, university doesn't cover autism at all. Mm. You know, when you look at it and even if they do, it'll be like, I don't know, a sub-document of other diagnoses or something and a little, I don't know, paragraph. But considering the high cohort of, you know, whether it's NDIS participants or, mm. you know, other that are accessing these services now, like we're not, you know, OT isn't just like work cover anymore. It's, you know, when there's, what was it, something like 72% of NDIS participants are neurodivergent in some sort of way. Yeah. Um, and autistic, you know, I think makes up like half of them if we count, you know, the most common um co-occurring. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's sort of like the I think where I was going with it was um the primary diagnosis as well. It only covers that. So um but yeah, it's just like how can all these people be working with us? And, and, you know, know full well that your caseload or your, you know, manager or whatever, you know, know full well that your caseload is going to be, let's say, 70% neurodivergent, mm. but there's just no knowledge. And that's where, you know, us educating is, you know, so important. And from a lived experience perspective as well, you know, I know you do a lot of, a lot of work in that space, you know, educating people around it and, you know, at Sunny Spectrum, we've got our, you know, neuroaffirming practice workshop, which, you know, it's just been so good to just unpack the, like, 101 of it and really hold space, you know, when we go, we're comfortable in our identity and, you know, we're the, we're the professionals, we're here to educate you. Treat it like an ABC show of, you know, you can't ask that. Like, be respectful, of course, but just go for it. Like... <laughs> We'd yeah. rather you do it with us than fumble with one of your clients. So if there's something you want to know or something you wondered if you screwed it up, ask us and then we can tell you. And, of course, we can't speak for other clients, but we can at least figure out maybe where you went wrong or what you're not sure about. Yeah, unpack it and repack it. Mm. And I'm pretty exactly. sure... And put it all back together again, like you say. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure you're very similar to me in that that you get to you're pretty good at the translation from neurodivergent to neurotypical like yeah. you can pull apart the story and find all the meaning and then create the linear story that is mm. understood which is yeah perfect for the the training that you're doing um the the neuroaffirming mm. workshops and, and, and that's where I guess that social work where we were touching on before is so good because that reflection around the perceptions and perspectives and what sort of, you know, education has someone had about it. Let's assume none, for example, that you can really start to figure out even if someone, you know, I guess said a doozy, that you go, well, hang on here. Like, I'm not offended. I'm not upset. I can see where you're coming from. I can see why you might ask that question. And then we can unpack it. Mm. So, yeah, it is. It's it's really cool. And, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of work to interpret neurotypical, but <laughs> I'm usually better at it when it's just, like, dialogue stuff. I'm not, you know, there's mm. the whole, like, what's that? 
I can, was, I read this as well. I can tell I'm being sarcastic because I'm doing it. But when someone else being sarcastic, I'm just like, yeah, that's okay. You're serious. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like, oh, can you do this? And in the, you know, the old one where it's like, you know, oh, can you help me with this? No. And it's sarcastic. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. why not? Can you, I need your help. Can you help me? And then they're like, hey. it's like, that's just you said no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Mm. Language is fun. I think um, one of my concerns around the neuroaffirming um, training and stuff is that people assume that once they've done their weekend warrior work, it's done. Whereas it's a whole shift of attitude and perception, perspective. Mm. Um, that you don't get just because you've done the weekend. Yeah. And that's a lot of what we highlight as well is, you know, it's about putting on a lens. Like when we think neuroaffirming practice, for example, if you do what you did with Billy, it's not going to work with Bob. It is about having a lens and seeing that person for their true self, their identity, their needs, the, the fluctuation of needs and experience as well. You know, it's... It's having that lens to see that as the first step rather than it just being about, I ticked the box, I did the course, I am neuroaffirming now. It is an active, dynamic thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think the more, oh, it's even like once once you've got the diagnosis, once you've self-identified, oh. once you've embraced that part of self, it also then there's a there's a personal journey that needs to happen before you're you can be considered an expert as such. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's still like um and you know, it's so typical of a neurodivergent to go, okay, I'm done now. I'm <laughs> I'm it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's just static now. It's like, no. <laughs> just wait for a change. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> and I think that's one thing that a diag, like a formal diagnosis, I've seen has gifted some people is that now they can embrace that part of self. Mm. Like, oh, what am I trying to say exactly? Mm. Well, even kind of like, I mean, are you talking like unmasking? I mean, a lot of people kind of uh, don't see it that way, but I have gone through a journey of unmasking um, mm. and it is something that I find really interesting um, that I guess thinking of it like masking and unmasking, um, you know, even Tammy and I have reflected that really a lot of it is about um, your awareness around that as well. It's not something that you just go like, I'm going to do the autism now um, <laughs> and then I'm just going to do the neurotypical Um Although it can be, it's sometimes it's more just about being aware, even when you're slipping back into, you know, overuse of energy, trying to, you know, justify being, your, I guess, not being yourself or, um, or being yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, interesting idea. I'm not sure where you were going with it. I kind of just ran with it. 
<laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind of where I was aiming at, whereas, you know, just just like the neuroaffirming training over a weekend doesn't make you neuroaffirm yeah. practice. Just because you've got a diagnosis doesn't mean you've stopped unmasking, like I stopped yeah. masking. There is still such yeah. a journey in in that oh. whole process. So yes, you've you've explained what I was trying to say quite nicely. <laughs> Thank you. I just knew <laughs> this is so unscripted, but we're just on a vibe, aren't we? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it and it is so interesting because, like, like you know, I mean, obviously, late diagnosed, right? Heavy masker. And like I can remember even as a young kid rehearsing facial expressions for hours and just thinking that's how people figured out how to express themselves. Um, And just to think that, you know, build all of that up um, and how exhausting it is, whether it's the practising, the scripting, actively doing it, it's just like, oh, my gosh, the cognitive load of all that um that it's just being able to just let it go a little Mm. bit and that's finding the right people the safe space to do that as well you know it's it's not something where you just you know do that and become I don't know excluded from something because it doesn't feel safe or you're not around the right people um but you know for example whether it's you know your partner learning more about you or your friends or you know, being in a community space around people with a similar experience, it's just the best thing to be able to just use half the energy that you would with everyone else. Yeah, I think I just, <laughs> so I used to practice the, my one eyebrow raise. That's my, that's what I used to oh, I love that. <laughs> and dimples, I used to, so I don't naturally have dimples, but I, you've got. I dimples. think I have one. Yeah. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that's that's my facial practicing um <laughs> but if you say that to a whole people the group of people that never practiced a mm. facial expression then they're kind of like well why yeah <laughs> doesn't that doesn't it just come naturally like don't, don't you, doesn't your face just do the thing and it's like yeah but when it does it's like or yeah. just <laughs> blank <laughs> it's like either you're just gonna get <laughs> blank or yeah. it's gonna be like so <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, no I kind of got to try and learn how to do I guess <laughs> what people can interpret because neither makes sense um but yeah and then there's you know going to school photos for example and just for hours muscle memory smile. of yeah. your smile for the school photo and then every single school photo is me like yes <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like oh my god I spent so much time on that and all my school photos are so embarrassing (laughs) I was in a couple of weddings and um they would say to me both brides actually said to me Joanne could you practice your photo face please (laughs) because I was so well known for having just a ridiculous face every time the camera went on <laughs> mouth was open the eyes would overly I don't know and I wasn't uh, even trying to do it I was trying to smile at the right time but my timing and the camera going off were apparently off by about three seconds <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so great yeah and it like it 
it is, isn't it? It's just so such a weird concept of having photos taken of you or taking photos. Like I the amount of photos or memories and, and it's so nice when people have all these photos, but it's like there's the the expression and all of that stuff that you have to figure out to make the photo what other people's photos look like. Yeah. And then there's just being so stuck in an experience forgetting to document it as well. That it's like all these people, how do they have photos <laughs> of their holiday? I yeah. The one time that I did that and I took photos of my holiday, I half experienced like I missed <laughs> so much of it because I was taking photos of everything. Yeah. It was just yeah, it's so I weird. Was, I was at Yellow Ladybugs conference yesterday. Yeah. And all of these amazing speakers, and because I was a speaker, I got to talk to all the other speakers as well. Awesome. I don't have a single photo with any of those people that I admire greatly. <laughs> I caught up with um, Gilly from the, not Gilly, that's my dog, Gilly from <laughs> Neurodivergent Research. And we caught, had dinner the night before. So we do have a photo together. And I took a photo of her with her special T-shirt on. And I took a photo of every speaker that came up. But when it was my chance to have like a selfie with them or whatever, I completely forgot. I was just yeah. making stories and giggling and <laughs> not doing my social media. But <laughs> very good. Having the full experience, but then, yeah, not much to show for it. Damn it. <laughs> I'm a little bit tired today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But even that experience of having the Yellow Ladybugs conference out mm. in the world and name getting well known is oh yeah, I think it's you, awesome. I think Sunny Spectrum Support and Yellow Ladybugs should have a meeting. Mm. Yes, hook us up. <laughs> See what I yeah, I think yeah. I mean, it's so cool because you know a lot of what we do at Sunny as well is well what we aim to do is I guess is really build up the idea that autistic people can thrive. We're not just surviving out here. Like, you know, we're, we're successful business people. We're, you know, parents. We're, um, I don't know, community members and activists. Like, we're, we're here. We're not just people hiding away with too much sensory input and unable to communicate, you know. It, it, we Waiting are the people savior. that can drive the change mm. for us as well. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I think that would be a good pairing. Yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> that was probably one of the first, actually, first, um, yeah, like organisations, I guess, um, that I, I guess, explored when um, sort of starting to dabble with the autism stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, same here because I tend to rather than dive into a community to get information, I tend to hold back and decide what I just think for myself first mm. and then find the community that matched. That's how I used to do my research papers as well. <laughs> <laughs> decide on what I thought about that and then find the yeah. paper that matched it. I was much similar. <laughs> <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> um, like and. I do remember the three years ago when the Yellow Ladybugs had their online conference. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the light bulb moment for me of these are people I want to be working with for around yeah. 
yeah and that's it it's it's just again that sort of neurokin stuff right you know starting to connect with people that they get it yeah yeah and that was my first foray into finding my community actually so oh great yeah that's awesome yeah Yeah, I think the the first neurokin experience for me you know and and where I guess some of the exploring but you know a lot of it was more like client stuff like I guess how to work with autistic people at that time um was kind of realizing how much it was coming naturally and it was just like a strange concept I just thought for some reason I just seem to work really well with autistic people because I've worked in disability my whole career I am um you know I started as a support worker you know when I was in uni part-time job Mm. um and just went from there and so it was really interesting from straight to those days all the way through until my diagnosis seeing this pattern and seeing how you know that community of neurodivergent people were you know so I don't know what the word is like I just I just felt like I could see them yeah I think um and I was trying I didn't know why at the time I just thought oh thanks social work degree you know I figured out how the world worked and that ended up being autism but (laughs) it was like yeah then realizing after diagnosed and learning about neurokin it's like yeah autistic people and and typically ADHDs as well it's like that's because it was always here all along (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> you didn't build it and they came it was already there you just uncovered it that's exactly it yeah so it was definitely a really cool um I guess reflection because mm-hmm. yeah uh, and I think um I guess like super positive and uplifting but also it was kind of humbling as well that it's like I'm not an expert professionally that's the lived experience coming in Um, you know we do the whole you know bridging professional and lived experience in both of our roles but really where the connection was coming from was the lived experience oh yeah yes and I think that's where the imposter syndrome can come in right when we work in this area is well, I don't have any formal um, training in autism, but also yeah. any formal training around autism at the moment is pretty clear. Yeah. Not and that's it, right. isn't it? You know, and, you know, whether it's really crap or run by neurotypical people or written by neurotypical people, it is, it's really difficult to find that out there. Mm. And that's where, you know, for example, the workshops we're putting together and, and things like that, they've they've been quite successful because people want to hear it from us and it's so amazing that they do you know it's just so good that it's like yeah we you know we're here we're out here sharing it (laughs) rather than having people write you know a textbook about us so yeah yeah. yes my mind just went blank for a second hang on (laughs) (laughs) bring it back around Yes. Oh, there we are. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, um, and that imposter syndrome, uh, like it, 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 it's such a knee-jerk reaction to being unsure and needing to have an outside 
to quantify what we are feeling. Whereas once we've done the inner work, right, we recognize that lived experience is probably more beneficial than a textbook knowledge anyway. Oh, that's it. It's been 100% true for my work with my clients that I might have actually lost my method or my process had I had more formal education around autism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Embracing that lived experience as higher quality education than Mm. perhaps what has been put out there at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) Also reflects on that imposter syndrome around am I autistic or not, right? Mm. So we can pull through if we've gone through the the process or the self-identification of recognizing that yes, that imposter syndrome is bollocks and that I am self-identifying correctly and moving forward that can put a higher quality on the lived experience again. Mm. So we, uh, well, at the moment, now I'm in a space where I don't doubt my understanding of information nearly as much as what I used to. Yeah, I totally agree. If I was looking at, you know, doing this, whether I guess what the way that we're working solely with neurodivergent people and and mainly autistic people, doing that pre-diagnosis, pre this journey, pre, um, I guess, the the solidifying of all the questions and it, it answer, you know, it's not really answering. It's just kind of like, I'm okay if that's unanswered as yeah. well. Um, that you can, yeah, just really get to a place where it all comes together and and you, it, it's almost like a practice um, rather than it just being, you know, I guess, mirroring your personal journey I think just following on from that lived experience part Mm. I value my opinion more now whereas in the past I would have not shared my thoughts gone home researched it checked to make sure it wasn't offensive to anybody and Mm. then missed any opportunity to ask any questions or any like to expand in any, any subject yeah now I feel quite happy to blip stuff out and clean up the mess afterwards (laughs) (laughs) I love that yeah and it is like that and even where you do and you go blip and then you're like that kind of wasn't worded right or whatever it might be but it you know you can hold space for that and hold space for yourself with that rather than it being a I must do the robot thing and give someone a perfect answer and a perfect solution. You can just get more curious and more explorative with your clients and, and, and people around you as well. It's yeah. Being more unapologetic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, that beautiful shift of it's okay not to have the answer. And I've got knowledge. I've got information. I don't know the answers for everything though. Yeah, and that's where I think there was a huge um, perspective shift from not wanting to do like therapy or psychology um, as having to have the answers Mm. um, and then going through social work and even then 
feeling like I had to have the answers that I think that's been a really cool space that, you know, has, I think, developed probably for me in the last couple years where it's like actually sometimes it's about holding space for not having the answers, being able to go, I don't know, but I can find someone who can. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's it's been really cool because, um, you know, even working now it's, you know, Tammy will be like, you know, you know, you're a therapist, right? Like, you know, like we've we even when we talk and you know, you know, social work brain comes out. And she's like, you know, that's like therapy, right? I'm like, uh, but therapy, it, it's still that internal, like, but therapy, therapists have to have the answers. <laughs> they always have the answers. But then, yeah, it's it's really cool to be validated as well that you know, yeah, I guess that that word doesn't have to mean that, and that I can do the thing. It's only in the last six months, or not even that, like in the last month on socials that I refer to myself as a neurodiverse family therapist. Mm. And it took me a year of calling myself a therapist just on my business card to kind of spread that out. And I was like, legally, am I allowed to call myself a therapist? Yeah, well, that's it too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what makes me a therapist versus not a therapist because I'm a social worker, I'm not a like a psychologist and mm. knowing that anybody can call themselves a therapist didn't make me feel any better <laughs> like, yeah 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 I'm like I need oh, rules it <laughs> exactly it is and you know particularly where you know there's regulations but there's also so much that's unregulated yeah. that it's just it's so hard to to find I guess like that boundary I mean and that's how I navigate a lot of my life is that I need to know that boundary because otherwise I'll just step over it unknowingly and you know whatever that might be so it's always about having that line and where is the line and then it's like for example when you might say I'm an autism expert you know like people have you know used that title for example it's like but where's the line where you know I do have the lived experience and I'm a social worker you know similar to you where you can say that but then I don't have knowledge of everyone's autistic experience I you know there's things that I still don't know about so it's like line where are you (laughs) and it's it baffles me that yeah other people can call themselves a specialist with the same experience as me kind of thing yeah how do you how do you how do you you go to sleep at night (laughs) (laughs) it's a little bit like that isn't it yeah and yeah even that I guess even specialist like you go therapist makes sense if you're therapeutic and you've you've achieved outcomes or or things with people and maybe even checked in with your practice or had supervision to sort of validate that Mm -hmm. um but expert, that's a whole nother level. Like, I don't, I don't think I could sleep with my net, myself at night calling myself an expert on anything. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, well, what does expert really mean? Because it, to me, that means like you've garnered all the information that's available yeah. and you've yeah. processed You know it. everything about it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that the information there is, like, of, of whatever topic it is, none of it's untouched. Yeah. And if someone brought anything up on that topic, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I know about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, 
uh, I don't know everything about anything. <laughs> and I don't think anyone does, really. <laughs> so who are the experts and what does an expert mean? <laughs> <laughs> what if I disagree with the expert? What does that make me? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Yeah, you disagree with the expert and you've got, a, you know, a founded knowledge base on that. Does that make you an expert because you disagreed with the expert? <laughs> And oh, they're wrong. Entire life <laughs> <laughs> um, the other work area that you and Tammy are doing is the NeuroWorks, which I think is yeah. the collaboration absolutely brilliant idea. Did you want to flesh that idea out for anyone? Uh, all right. Quick snapshot. It's, um, I guess, really, we were exploring the ideas of looking at workplaces holistically and that you know that really vibe with the social worker in me and even looking at it from a systemic sort of change point of view as well um you know we start with one person and you know it might be a workplace and then it could be an industry and you know obviously my social work brain again is going oh systemic change amazing I'm so excited um but you know it's baby days but looking at really the idea being it's about meeting in the middle you know a lot of autistic and neurodivergent people experience this I I have to come to the party with all the things yeah. um, or I have to know what I need as well mm-hmm. so even if the the employer's coming and, and offering something or whatever it might be um, wanting to sort of explore what where's the miscommunication you know, almost kind of like that double empathy problem where it's like someone's trying to come on the autistic wavelength and someone's trying to come on the neurotypical wavelength and then they're kind of still missing each other. Yeah. So we kind of looked at the idea that, you know, it's really about supporting employers as well, Mm -hmm. Um, not just looking at it as, oh, we're just going to build people's work skills and we're just, you know, we'll just help them communicate with their boss better. Because that kind of, if we think of it theoretically, puts the onus on the the neurodivergent person. So it was looking at, yeah, that's a part of it. But we look at, you know, working with employers around optimising workplaces, like environments, because a lot of the disabling factors can be environmental, you know, if we're thinking right to the basics of sensory um, but just even in terms of task optimization and executive function and things like that, that it was really looking at the workplace optimization, um, exploring um, the like consultancy sort of level that could be offered as well. So, you know, working with employers, going, you know, they can, I guess, call NeuroWorks and say, hey, We've got an employee who's just disclosed they're autistic. We've never had an autistic employee before. How could we best support them? Um, and whether that is in their, you know, in their environment, in their, with their management team, with their co-staff, you know, it could be part of, I guess, training and practice. Um, or it could be the participant as well that's going, I'm thinking about disclosing it to my, to my employer. How yeah. do I go about that? What are my rights? What? accommodations can I ask for 
So really just trying to see the whole picture of what employment is because, you know, there's plenty of statistics out there around how employment affects us, um, you know, whether it's work retention, burnout, you know, job loss, whatever it might be, even if it's we're looking the other way of lack of opportunity to actually climb the ladder as well, um, that it's just, I think, just a really cool space to explore um so we're starting to yeah just really get in there have a look um kind of tapping in with the um SA autism strategy as well where you know their first steps are around education um but not soon like not too far to follow um will be employment so we'll be ready ready <laughs> and I guess it means that when they're so I, I believe that autistic people specifically are underutilized within the workplace because yeah. of, like we're saying, the accommodation that are required, actually yeah. being able to ask for the services, the lack of shared jobs. So mm-hmm. maybe the inability to work full-time, but have the capacity yeah. to do the job share. So three days. Exactly. Um, yeah. Having those opportunities, even when the you know, this uh, South Australian government went, we're employing more autistic people. If you looked at the jobs that they're offering. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I looked at a lot of that, um, you know, through exploring this idea in, in the very, very early stages. And it, it a lot of it was, you know, must have like pretty much impeccable ability to communicate and brilliant administration and organization skills and dot 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 of just basically looking at all the the disabling factors of autism (laughs) and going we want autistic people who don't have any of that yeah good luck finding that (laughs) because we're if we we either experience it or we're masking and we're going to burn out that's right. Either US way, not the that. employer you're looking for. <laughs> no. And I think that's, yeah, so very frustrating because on surface level, mm. they're publicising embracing yeah. autism, basically. Yeah. But And so many people, even if they're not job searching and not actually clicking in, will be like, oh, well, you know, lovely. Isn't that so great? And it's like, yeah, but. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll yeah. just leave it there. <laughs> I was going to try and use choice words. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but is a pretty, yeah. <laughs> it's like on the surface level and the publicity side, pub, mm. um, like publicity, fantastic. Like we're yeah. putting it forward and we're doing all the right things. If you scratch that surface, you go, well, they're not actually providing, a, like I read through, one of the job descriptions and I'm, 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 I'm a master educated social worker with lived experience with many years of experience behind me working in a corporate job, working in private practice. Mm. I couldn't do some of these, like I couldn't meet the criteria. Oh yeah. And me neither. Me neither. The only reason I, I guess, meet the criteria professionally and haven't burnt out and, and, you know, I guess spiraled essentially, which I have, Look, you know, the reason is because I'm being affirmed. I do have a safe space. I can, you know, self-manage in a way that I need to. It it's all feels comfortable. 
to do um, and, and not looked at in any other way than this is what makes you most productive. Yeah. And this is great that you're doing that to be more productive rather than looking at the, I guess, yeah, yeah, under productivity. I don't think that's a word, but I tried. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, even I guess coming back to the neuro work, neuro works thing, and and I guess that phrasing around you know thriving and not just surviving as well. A lot of it is around you know finding space whether it's in education and consultancy for people who know their industry the best yeah so for example I've never been an electrician or a tradie in general I've never ran a restaurant but I'm sure there's an autistic person out there that has runs an electrician business or runs a restaurant Mm. they're going to know that work environment and that industry way better than some social worker who sits behind a desk or meets with clients and just worries about their own sensory experience and whatever yes. when they step in a restaurant. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think ADHD people do well in restaurants. I <laughs> could be general. fast paced adrenaline. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's constant. Mm. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, there's too many things are coming at me. At oh yeah. That's it is unless there would be like a pattern. Yeah. Like that's where, like, for example, um, apart from working in a supermarket and it like being my first job ever it being obvious an overwhelming sensory experience I even had some really like big somatic difficulties with that but in terms of the job it was like oh my god this is so not optimized for me and obviously so early days where I just masked my way through it until I actually dropped physically but the pattern was what got you through because it's like you kind of just go pew, 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 pew with everything and, you know, you figure out your patterns and codes or whatever that you got to do. Mm. But that's where, like, restaurant and hospo, just, like, particularly as a young person looking for work before qualifications, before finding that space, mm. hospo was just so not for me. I was like, that just looks like utter chaos. I, no, 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 I, you whether it's a KFC or a McDonald's or a cafe, I just no, no. never applied for a job there. I just wouldn't even look at it. It is definitely not in my skill set in any way, shape or form. Yeah. The people that do well in there are just amazing because yeah, I don't know how their brains work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mysteries of the mind. Yeah. I, yeah. So interesting. I don't have the buzzing. <laughs> oh, is hold on. Is the buzzing this? No, I was just no? thinking okay. in my head, like when I'm in a restaurant, I can it's oh. my ears start to buzz and I can't yeah. on anything. Oh yeah, I'm so bad at like um I guess the like the auditory processing sort mm. of stuff when it comes to all that. Because I'm not very good at processing verbal information unless I've got my full focus. Yeah. I, that's why it's like I even need to write down what people are saying or um yeah find another way if I get asked to do a task oh or like proofread something it's like send it to me don't read it out to me because I'll be like yeah fair enough <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's oh that and even in my diagnosis one of the fun ones was um I I like to have my back you know a lot of it is feeling safe as well but have your back to like the I guess the back of the restaurant I don't like that whoosh of people 
walking behind you. They're not physically touching you, but I described it as the whoosh. And I think um, the psychologist who diagnosed me was like, yep, that's pretty autistic of you. <laughs> so it was like I could physically feel it almost kind of like goosebumps on your back oh, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Just and then knowing someone's and walking and behind me and it's kind of whether it's just the air pressure changing for a moment, <laughs> I don't know, but I could feel it and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> it's almost like someone creeping up behind you and like, you know, going like, ugh, on your shoulder. It's like, no, nah, I don't like it. No. Do you mm. use the anamanopia quite a lot? Like I I discovered that I verbalise the sound of the thing that I want people to do quite often. Yeah, I definitely. Um, uh, any sound, um, I've got a lot of like echolalia as well. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's so funny. Like even, um, you know, like sounds, like definitely like things that happen, like if it was a package and a crunch, I can be like, it was kind of like crunch, crunch, crunch. <laughs> it's not just crunch, it's crunch, crunch, crunch. Um, <laughs> but then even with that, hearing sounds, like if I find something funny, um, entertaining and really in any sort of way, I have to say it. <laughs> and sometimes it's like really long, full sentences. And then I get halfway and I'm like, oh, but I have to finish it now. <laughs> Why don't I enjoy that? It's not even just like two words. <laughs> Because then you can't leave it unfinished. Like, <laughs> we need to sentences have rules. You've got to get to the full stop. So it was like, yeah, it would be like, oh, this like big joke that someone said on a TV show. And then I've just got to say the whole joke. <laughs> and, like, I can see my partner being like, yeah, I heard it. <laughs> I did actually. Um, we're watching the same show. But I'm like, but I just need to make sure you did. Because I found that very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I am the worst joke teller. Are you the worst joke teller? Like, if there's a setup, like stage jokes, like yeah. you, you, like yeah. you stage People them. Find me funny, but yeah. I'm not doing that deliberately. As such. Yeah, yeah. But if I have to tell a joke, I fuck it up. Like, oh yeah, completely. The punchline comes first. I start laughing before I finished anything. Yeah. Yeah, uh, rehearse jokes, not for me, but everyone still thinks, as you, as you said, think I'm funny and laugh at me. Yeah. And it's just like, and in a nice way as well. It's not even yeah. like, you know, laughing at me, I guess with me, but I'm not laughing. I don't know. But <laughs> oh, it's, it's just like the definition of laughing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you cut it right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just, it's so weird because you're just like, I'm a funny person, but I can't do the funny. Like it's just happens. And then even you've got to like mentally figure out why they're laughing. And if it is like you did something really silly and yeah. maybe that's something you need to remove from your mouth, like I guess like repertoire and work into masking when you need it. Yeah. Um, or whether it's, you know, actually that's kind of goofy. That's kind of funny. I've got a sense of humour. Look at me go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Sarcasm was my go-to once I started working at the bank. People thought I was very sarcastic. Mm. And so that became my thing. It took me ages to get out of it because I wasn't being sarcastic. <laughs> People just thought I was a bitch. But, you know, that was, that took, that. yeah, sarcasm is, hides a lot. And you can get mm. away with a lot when you're sarcastic because people think that's very witty and um, intelligent. That's but it. Really, 
Isn't that, yeah, there's definitely those sorts of, uh, I don't know, was it like functions of phrase or interaction that if you, you, you can pull on them and it just, it's like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, that was sarcastic. <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating when you change the crowd and you do the same thing, but you don't get the same results. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I did it the same way the first that I did the first yeah. time. They laughed yeah. at that. And then, yeah, and you do, and you kind of sit there almost like the yeah. sort of thing, and you're just sitting there like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Do you want me to say it again? And then yeah. oh, no, I heard it. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I think my common phrase right now is, well, I found that funny. I think I'm very amusing. Yeah, yeah I do that a lot too. I'm like, yeah, that was funny. You didn't laugh, but I'm funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that I've started to do is um, <laughs> I want you to clap now. <laughs> <because> <laughs> I think I've done something really good. Okay. Somebody and they okay. don't do anything. A round of applause, please. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to clap now. <laughs> and even though I know that I've told them to clap, that clap makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> May not be genuine, but it feels genuine. It's that's great. Right. It's great. And that's that's the effect that I'm looking for. So that'll do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's so funny. Like there's just those things, isn't it? Where it's just like, I don't know. It's it's so hard to describe, particularly to like neurotypical people, like the the intensity of just like the most simplest interactions or things or whatever that just you I mean that's that autistic joy, right? It just like feels whether it's like your chest or your mind or your whole body that it's just like this thing is just so important and you know, they're just like, yeah, but all I did was go or whatever and you're like ah! <laughs> it's just like you know that it's yeah it's surreal isn't it it is it makes life fun right yeah because then you can cut <laughs> you can cut the sulk of nobody mm. recognized what I was doing nobody thought that that was yeah. special <laughs> why is nobody <laughs> noticing me so much easier if you just go I want you to praise me now <laughs> yeah and then that's it that and then direct they, communication right it's just yeah yeah if they still don't praise me I just say it louder <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining you like going up and up in volume and then just sleep like screaming just like clap praise me <laughs> I did good <laughs> I might have done that once or twice <laughs> I see you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, Gilbert and Brad are very well <laughs> trained. The, make mum happy. Clap now. Okay. <laughs> just like both like on the iPad or watching TV yeah, and I just yeah. like. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to explore, you know, and because and, I it wasn't really my experience at all. Um, 
is that like that neurodivergent household where everybody's like aware and affirming and holding space for that mm-hmm. um where I just yeah I mean working with clients and families where that is the case or they're they're striving to get there you know it's a journey like being affirming in any space but from a perspective of someone that hasn't experienced that it's it's just so cool to see those like like that those little interactions where everybody just kind of yeah flows on with what they need and you know give each other space when they need it or you know if you want to run around in circles go for it you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's I don't know it's it's really cool Hmm. nice and I think that kind of work that you're doing and that I'm doing and living in those neuroaffirming spaces and acceptance and you know both of us now starting to just ask for what we want rather than hedging around it and finding a nice way yeah. to it means that the next generation won't have to go through that trauma therapy before mm. getting a diagnosis right exactly exactly and it is it it's huge just to be able to like directly communicate your needs and when you're not okay and yeah. things like that and when you have those people around you that are accepting to that or understanding to that it just it's such a whole different dynamic you know for example you know my partner and and in my workplace it's do you need space right now yes okay cool you know uh, are you mad at me and then even like because my partner's a very you know direct communicator and I'm very attuned to um those kind of like fluctuations in behavior so it's like, oh, are you mad? Did I do something? And then it's like, no, I'm just tired. And then it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like, no, and I know <laughs> that we both mean what we say. Yeah. Um, which, you know, takes time and that's trust and, and all of the things. But it, it's just once you can cut the BS, yeah. it's just huge. Even in a workplace, it's like, can't talk right now, focusing. You know, in any other workplace, it would be like, oh, that was rude. Stay away from her. Where it's like, oh, that's, and, you know, even with, you know, like working in the space that I do, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're focusing. Let me know when you're out at focus. I'll I'll, I'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's not looked at as anything rude. You know, there's all, whatever it might be, I need space right now. You put your, you know, your noise cancelling headphones on. It's not that you're being antisocial or whatever it might be that it's just just it's commonplace mm. it's just natural yeah mm. oh and then that lovely world that we will be mm. creating and living in that's it yeah I think a few more generations it. and you know who knows what the world could look like <laughs> yeah and it's so quickly so quickly changing mm. Mm. <laughs> Changing so very much. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if we, we think we're, I guess, the perceptions of like disability as a whole mm. have evolved. And then we're, you know, thinking how visible autism is becoming where before it, you know, it was just yeah. stereotypes in a movie. And before that it was, you know, institutionalised or undiagnosed. Yeah, you know, there's just down the road. <laughs> so much, yeah, change and just and growth of knowledge in this space that you just go, if we keep this up, like 
we're not too far off from you know breaking down some huge barriers and and with that thinking even how much of that affirming stuff or or change or whatever don't be scared of it uh, or or think that the world is suddenly going to be I guess where the world wasn't designed for us as autistic people that we're going to design the world and you won't fit as a neurotypical yeah have you ever thought that some of those accommodations or things might actually benefit you as well you'll stop you'll have to let you know you can let a bit of your guard down or you can affirm your feelings and needs more as well like yeah it's this world changing around this stuff isn't just about you know I guess where people go oh it's just all catering it's just all pandering and making everyone feel special it's like but what if we all did feel special in our own way and we were appreciated I mean wouldn't that be nice is that bad is that a bad thing (laughs) well how would you like the world to look exactly yeah do you want us all to be miserable and and all be the same person because I mean yeah there's a lot of that out there of course but you know it'd be really cool to just I guess let these perspectives and let this you know different varieties of knowledge and different strengths and all of that flourish rather than be hidden away well that's right yes Mm. Utopia. (laughs) (laughs) There will never be utopia because never, you know, there's never a perfection, right? Yeah. But the opportunity to attain your highest potential is what. Oh, that's it. And you know, everyone's perfection looks different, so yeah, it's just kind of innate that the world can't be perfect. Like it, it just will never be because everybody's perfect is different. Yeah. But you know, I guess that's where be a little bit less shit for everyone <laughs> yeah that's it yeah make the world less shit and then we can move towards accepting diversity and all of that <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah sounds like it you know if you weigh up the other options sounds like a good direction to head <laughs> i think so <laughs> i'll put that on our list for systemic change make the be the slogan neuroworks we'll have we'll start yeah neuroworks social work systemic change sector (laughs) make the world less shit (laughs) like i've saved you money in marketing already fantastic oh yeah that's it (laughs) well thank you very much for your time thank you for having me it's been awesome it's really cool to do you know, something like this where it, it's just flowy and unscripted, you know, uh, uh, like one of the other, um, I guess, podcasts slash webinar sort of things that I've done was very professional, very have a presentation and a slideshow uh, sort of stuff and just, you know, <laughs> rehearsed and and on the spot where it's like, wow, this is, this is really cool, you know, and I, it'd be really cool to even just see you know, who else might like to come along and, yeah, just let let it all flow. (laughs) It's cool. Anyway, thank you. Well, thank you very much for your time, energy and sharing. It can be a little bit daunting when we don't have the boundaries and the barriers and stuff. But like you said, well, like I told you, this is just talking twaddle. It's just a blip. Well, that's it. And it, it, it is. It was very daunting and, you know, very on brand for, you know, the, I guess my neurotype. Mm. I was watching a few of them last night 
and even taking notes. And do you want to know what one of the notes was? Be authentic. <laughs> I scripted and wrote down be authentic. Be authentic. I'm like, <laughs> and then I read it back and I'm like, I, I, I need to script me. <laughs> then I just, yeah, it was just That's these like little just themes of what was coming up and, and how it might flow to feel like I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but then like reading it back and it just being like, say how you feel about stuff or like be authentic. And it's just like, I really didn't get a script out of that, did I? <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. It's really cool. <laughs> As you know, we we have awesome chats and all of that. So it's just like now you can see what it's like when we chat. (laughs) And I I hope you enjoyed everybody. (laughs) That's it. Thank you very much. I can't do it any other way because otherwise it just won't get produced. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's it. (laughs) But you've been very um, generous with your time and energy and effort. Oh, good. That was much appreciated. My pleasure. And we can say bye for now. Bye. Thank you for having me.